morning, Redemption Church. Good to see everyone here this morning. You got a Bible, open it to uh, Romans chapter 7. We're going to open a new book or a new chapter in our study together, six months now. And uh, we're going through the experience of God's grace to sinners. And today we're going to give you another aspect. And I'll just give you a little bit of warning. This one might bother you too. So hang into uh, what we're talking about, get the totality of it. Um, some have called this passage, Romans 7, one of the most difficult passages in the scriptures. I, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know if that's a true statement or not, um, but I do know this. It's probably one of the most misunderstood passages in scripture, and I, I take that from my own experience and from people that I talk to, because Paul is dealing with a believer's relationship to the law, and as soon as we talk about the, the freedom of God's grace, uh, the benevolence of God that sets us free from performance, and then we suddenly see all these things that we are to do or not to do, or we look at the Old Testament and it somehow messes up our mind about really how free really are we, right? And so I think it's misunderstood specifically. It's not hard to understand what Paul is talking about in this chapter. 22 references to law in chapter 7, so we know his theme Last week in chapter 6, we dealt with a, the last half of chapter 6, where Paul was using a word picture of slavery to describe what it is to go from being trapped, attached to, stuck in sin, and then being freed from that, and then attached to Christ. And so we go from slaves to sin to slaves to righteousness. But, he, but here in chapter 7, Paul explains what he means by um, being free from the law. And understanding that it means that we're free from sin's control, that they're together in his mind. And, and so uh, in verse uh, 56, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul puts a verse together that describes the attachment of law and sin in his mind, which is what we're going to talk about today. Here, here's the verse. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. In Paul's mind, these, these two aspects of sin and law are connected um, in a believer's life. If I want to paraphrase that verse, I would simply say it this way. That sin brings death, just like God promised, if you sin, you will die. And the law exposes us as sinners. See Genesis chapter 3. God says, don't eat. Man, here's a law. Guess what happens? Sin. Sin that produced sin in every ancestor of Adam and Eve and every person that's ever lived Sin comes out of that law. And so if you want to see the comparison of sin and law, all you got to do is compare chapter 6 to chapter 7. Let me give you a little snapshot of, of the commonality between these two, two uh, chapters. In, in chapter 6, verse 2, Paul talks about believers having died to sin. In chapter 7, verse 4, he says, we've died to the law. See the common language? He says in chapter 6, verse 18, that we've been freed from sin. In chapter 7, verse 6, he says we've been freed from the law. In chapter 6, verse 4, he says we walk in newness of life. In chapter 7, verse 6, we're going to see today that we serve in newness of spirit. And then in chapter 6, verses 8 through 11, he tells us about our victory over sin is tied to being united with Christ's death and resurrection. And then in chapter 7, verse 4, he says our release from the law and from the sin it produces is because of being united to Christ in his death and resurrection. You see the commonality between those two chapters. So chapter 6 mentions sin 17 times. Chapter 7 mentions law 22 times. Somehow in Paul's mind, he's connecting these two things together. And I think in these first six verses, he's going to help us understand how God feels about the law and how he feels about the law for Christians who live in the grace 
of God, okay? So my expectation is that some of you are going to hear some things for the first time, maybe. Uh, some of you uh, might be offended by some of the things you hear today. I, I think Christians fundamentally, even though they understand pieces and parts of what God is and what he's done, will really struggle with the totality of grace and freedom that is in Christ. Because it goes against every natural human inclination of fixing our own problems. So just hang in there with me because I don't have the luxury of teaching the entire book of Romans this morning. I got seven verses to deal with. So we're going to stay on one particular theme coming back again to the other things that Paul says to describe God's intention in the law. But um, let's deal with this. Let me give you a quick outline of chapter 7 so you know where we're going in the next three weeks. We're going to deal with uh, verses 1 through 6 this week where Paul talks about being released from the law or free from the law. Next week, we're going to talk about the inevitable question that pops up after a discussion like we're going to have today. Okay, if we're released from the law, then is the law sin? That's next week, chapter, uh, chapter 7, 7 through 14. And then the last... Uh, passage that we're going to deal with in chapter 7 is the battle sinners have with the law. It's the Paul expression of the war that he has with with sin. So that's a snapshot of 7. Let's start with the first six verses. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the text up on the screen. I just want you to follow along with me. Verse 1, or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in the members, in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that... uh, In your love and kindness and benevolence uh, through the Spirit, through Paul to us, you are teaching us how free we are in the gospel. Even the remnants in our flesh, God, doesn't want to accept this, so I pray that your Spirit would do the preaching today, that he would overtake our fears and confusions about what it is to know and live the gospel. I pray for your help. I pray that we'd have ears to hear, and God, you'd get the glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Does this passage confuse you at all? Um, Is it confusing to hear that you're released from the law knowing that some of you have spent your entire life living under a list of things you should do and shouldn't do? Like you know instinctively that if you cross this line, God's going to frown, and if you go that way, God's going to smile. That, that, that whole unspoken, non-biblical way in which people live, is it hard to hear that Paul says, hey, you're free? And you're released. Does that confuse you at at all? Um, After all, God gives the law, and what God gives is good. And by the way, won't all hell break loose if we're free from the law? Won't people just go crazy with sin? Those are good questions, and those those are the reasons why I said you might be bothered a little bit about this message today. Because we're going to find out that when God says through Paul to us that we're released and free, it really means that. 
And so hopefully in the context of what he said, we're going we're gonna to get another aspect of grace. Um, just to full disclosure, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor, so that meant um, old school, right? 40, 50 years ago, I sat in church three times a week, whether I wanted to or not. And uh, I heard messages, um, lots of messages. Everything was a message. But predominantly what I heard was moral conformity. I, I heard more than anything what a Christian should do or what a Christian shouldn't do. The ways in which God would smile and the ways in which God would frown on us. Now, I heard the gospel, but the gospel was more or less how a person is saved, not how a person lives. And I didn't know the difference, and I'm 52 years old, and I'm still learning what the difference between that means. But we're going to have a discussion about the gospel. In fact, um, I lived under the... Uh, Theology of one great theologian, um, Larry the Cable Guy, um, <laughs> get her done. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like God does all this work in the cross to Christ and he presents the message on the pages of this book and you muster up the belief and you hang on really strong and pull yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps and you, you get her done, God's going to smile. And there's going to be all sorts of these blessings that are for you if you, if you can do those things. And, and so... Uh, coming to Christ was work. And uh, I think we're going to be bothered maybe a little bit in a good way, and I say that in a good way because I'm going to tell you today that you don't have to obey the law. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking Tim's lost his mind because last week he said don't fight sin, and this week he's saying don't obey the law. So hang, hang in there. Like I said before, if you want to just take a sneak peek at the title of of chapter 8, it says life in the spirit. We're going to get to what God does, what God really does when he changes a life. But we're going to spend some time in the uncomfortable section of what it means to be released from legalism and law. And so I know some of us walk around trapped in that. I know and confess that I have in my past, and so I'm learning. So you're going to get my lessons, at least what I think God said here. So just to give you a snapshot, a little bit of where we're going today, there's three expressions in this small section of Scripture that will kind of light our fire. In verse 1, he talks about the law no longer being binding on us. In verse 4, he says we're dead to the law. In verse 6, he says we're released from the law. And all these truths are wrapped up in a very simple outline, but before we get to the outline, I would love for us to make sure we understand what we're talking about when we're talking about law. Because when we typically hear law, we automatically go Old Testament. Ten Commandments, God said, therefore we do. And, and so um, I think the answer to that question, is Paul talking about the Old Testament or the commandments? The answer is yes and no. I, I think uh, as most theologians or commentators about this passage would say, they would agree that what Paul has in mind here isn't necessarily any specific list of commandments. He's simply addressing whatever anybody would present to God is what makes them acceptable to God. It, it's the version of, here's what I think I have to do for God to be okay with me. Paul is addressing those things that we're free from. Does it include Old Testament, Ten Commandments stuff? Of course it does, because some people choose to use that as their ladder, and other people have an old, a whole other set of, of laws. I think the proof in Paul's argument here is, the, in, is uh, in the original text, you see the, the phrase, um, from speaking to those who know the law. Well, that, that definite article, the, is not in the original language. Paul is not talking about a specific law. He's saying law. 
As you make it up, as you feel in your heart. In fact, if you want to go back to Romans chapter 1, Paul deals with the natural law written on the hearts of of every man. The, the, The law that we say, this is how I make myself presentable to God. And the law that condemns us all because we all fall short. That's the Romans 1 kind of law. Ray Steadman was talking about the reality that every one of us carry around with us a law. Natural law. And it exposes us. And so I'll give you a couple thoughts he has of how it shows itself. One is in that um, how we respond to be proud of our achievements says that we got another law. We look at what we do and think that we measure up. And ultimately what we do, even the good things that we do, is somewhat of a distraction to other people about the places and ways in which we fail. At least I do this and I don't do that. And... Um, he also says that it shows itself in the fact that we're critical of other people. That's exposing us that we have a, another standard, a law which we live by. And, and uh, again, it's like a smokescreen that keeps people from seeing our struggles because I can be con- critical of other people. And, and by the way, we're typically critical of other people in the same places and ways in which we struggle because um, it's the easiest thing to see for us. Uh, Stedman also says that... Uh, That natural law exposes itself when we are reluctant to admit our own failures. It's the ultimate attempted cover-up. It's understanding without saying it out loud that we know we're under the weight of law. It's like we know we're guilty. We know we don't measure up, and so we pretend that it's not there or call it something else or give ourselves an excuse or blame it on someone else. That's how we cover up the fact that we know there's a code and we've broken that code and we're guilty of even keeping our own standards. He, he mentions one last idea, and that is that we suffer from depression, discouragement, and defeat, which is the ultimate sign of living under some standard. I didn't do it. I'm not what I should be. Other people are better. And so we walk around depressed um, because we don't think um, we measure up. So there is a law that Paul is dealing with here. And he says, you're free, church. You're you're free from um, this Old Testament standard uh, that we've already said last week declares the heart of Christ the things God loves, the things God hates and, and what he's for, you're free from the performance of those things. You're free from your man-made religions or your standards of acceptance. You're free from all that stuff. And he's gonna prove it in a very simple outline in six verses. Here's, here's the outline, if you like outlines. Verse one is the principle. Verses two and three is the illustration. And verses four through six is uh, the application. So we're gonna work our way through it. Let's start with the principle, verse one. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Make sense? Any confusion? Let me, let me make it real clear. If I were to make your body dead and put your dead body in a car with a bunch of criminals, and the criminals went around breaking laws and robbing banks, when they caught up with the car, you would not go to prison. Because <laughs> you're dead. Any confusion? That's the principle. Dead people don't have to pay. 
There's no consequence for dead people. No law applies to dead people. Now, just to remind you what we understand about our union with Jesus, if you back up to chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 3, Paul is talking about this deadness that comes by our union with Christ. And he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Somehow, God was able to transfer our life to Christ so that when he died, that death became mine. And so something significant happened to sin and now the law because of the death of Christ for us. So the principle is simple, right? Criminals who die don't go on trial. Okay, here's the, here's the illustration. Verses uh, two and three is simply an illustration about a married woman whose husband dies. Now, uh, there have been a lot of people that have confused this passage. Paul is not trying to teach the church about divorce and remarriage or, or about uh, laws in marriage. He's not allegorizing this passage. You're not trying to figure out who the husband is and where your role is. He's simply illustrating the point he's made, the principle that when you die, the law doesn't apply. Do you understand? Real, real simple. So married woman to a man, he dies. She's no longer bound by the law to that man. She's free to marry another. Anybody confused so far? Based on your expressions, I need to repeat myself. Um, It's simple. It's complicated. Don't overthink it. Very simple illustration. He gets now into uh, the application in verses 4 through 6. Let me read it, and we'll kind of pull out two specific things, a lot of subpoints. So here's what he says. Just like that, or likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we're living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the laws, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. There are two sides that Paul's going to talk about to our union with Jesus Christ, okay? The first one, the one I've been emphasizing, is that we are dead to the law. We're released from the law. The second aspect of it is the so what to that truth. We, we are now free to, to bear fruit. Two aspects. Dead to the law, released from the law, so that we can bear fruit. Let's deal with the dead to the law part of this so we can really understand what he means. Here's what it means to be dead to the law. It means you don't have to answer to it anymore. It means it doesn't condemn you or control you anymore. The law's job, and we're going to see that this morning, was simply to expose us as sinners incapable of keeping it. That's all it was supposed to do. And by the way, it was never a cure. It wasn't another option. It wasn't like God presented to us multiple ways. Jesus or the law, you pick it. The law simply exposed our need for Jesus. We couldn't keep the law in the way that God required And by faith in Christ, Christ fulfilled all the law's requirements, perfect obedience, and here's what he did when he died and rose. He transferred that, imputed that righteousness, that obedience to us. So all the law's requirements, guys, are completely, fully met and kept in Christ, amen? That's what the law, that's what Christ did to the law. But it doesn't stop us from trying. And that's where this becomes a problem. The church doesn't walk in the freedom that Jesus died to give it. It has a tendency to, uh, to worry and freak and control its life and others' lives simply because the tyranny of law says more 
to us than what the gospel does. So we got to get our minds clear about this, okay? Because I see more in Christians' lives how they feel about their proximity to God and their relationship to God based on a list of things they do or don't do. I see um, how we compare ourselves to other people, how we judge other people. We are the best legalists on the planet, how we walk in fear because this week I really struggled. God's going to crush me. I know he's going to crush me. He's so upset with me because I knew better and I didn't do better. And so we walk in the fear of of the condemnation of some standard. And so if we're going to be really honest, we're probably better law keepers than we are grace keepers, right? Just as a confession. That's the flesh instinct in our hearts is to keep some list of rules in order for me to look in the fridge and go, yep, I've checked those boxes today, good to go. And that's completely opposite of what Paul is defending here in these first six verses. Um, And because I think we struggle uh, honestly, not like intentionally, I don't think you set out in your mind to go, today, keep the law to be appeasing to God. I don't think any Christian says that. It just happens. So let me give you a couple motivations to not live that way, to help you stop living by the law. Here's the first one. Understand that it doesn't work anyway. It, it doesn't work. You can't do it. Romans 7, we, we're going to see it in a couple weeks, and we've already looked at it a couple times, where Paul's describing his own experience with trying to keep the law. Do you remember this? Where he says, I don't understand the thing I do, the very thing I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing, and the thing I, I want to do, I don't seem to be able to pull it off, so who's going to rescue me from this body of sin and death? And what does he say? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. There's only one possible way. Now, this is Apostle Paul, and I kind of look at him as a champion of the faith, and I got no shot. Isaiah, the prophet, was, was examining the whole condition of the human heart where he says, um, the righteous deeds, the best we have to offer God is like filthy rags to him. So when God gets done looking and assessing our true offerings, there isn't any righteous one out there. So even if we compared ourselves to each other and somehow did a little vote survey and found the one in this room who's better than everybody else, you fall short. We got no shot. So if you say, I want to live by some law or standard, just at least understand it doesn't work. It doesn't please God. You don't have the capacity within yourself to do or don't do certain things that make God smile on you. Because even if you could conform the outside, and I know there are some people who are better at that than I am, you can't conform the inside. And when Jesus was talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he offered several expressions to his heart about this. He said, you know, you've heard it said, but I tell you. He deals with the command and then deals with the heart of the command and everyone falls short with the heart because hate's easy to hide. Lust is easy to hide, isn't it? Everyone falls short. The law demands, get this, the law demands actions, motives, and thoughts. It doesn't work. So if you just want one motivation to stop trying to obey a set of rules, just realize it's a futile endeavor, okay? Here's the second thing I want you to remember about trying to live by the law. As Christians, and we understand what that means, Jesus' death brought a death to the law. That's what he says in verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised From the dead. I want you to turn to the left to to chapter 3. I'm going to remind you of something we've studied already. Romans 3, verses 21. We're going to kind of skip around here to see the totality of this thought. 
that Christ's death brought a death to some kind of standard that appeased God. So here's what he says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now skip down to verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting is excluded by what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The law is a slave master and a judge. It's a condemner. And the wonderful paradox of this gospel story is that Jesus' death was the only way to bring life to people who were dead. And his death brought a death to the sin that was killing us. Do you understand that? That equation there is in essence what Paul is saying. So if you want motivation for living free from a list of things that you think make you happier or appease God, then understand this, that we know that Jesus brought a death to all that stuff. Here's another truth to help you stop living by any kind of set of laws, and that is this. God's way of living righteously before him has absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with obeying the law. Do you hear what I said? God's way of living righteously before him has nothing to do whatsoever with obeying the law. I want you to see it. We're going to do a little sneak preview. Romans 8, 3 through 4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Amen? Back in 7, verse 5, uh, Paul, in essence, said this kind of in the reverse way. He says, for while, um, and this is verse 5, by the way, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work and our members to bear fruit for death. Here's what happens by the law. Sinful passions are aroused by law, not righteousness. If there was any kind of standard that would arouse in us righteous living, then he would have written it, but it's just the opposite. There's only one thing that pleases God, church. That's the life of Christ in me. That's it. God sees one satisfaction, his own son, applied to your life. Only one hope, only one righteousness, and there is no other. The law can't produce righteousness. It destroys people. It condemns people. And we stand righteous, and we live righteous only one way, walking free in the gospel of Jesus to love God and to love others. Amen? That's it. Free from the law to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others. Um, So here's the kind of the way it works. If we choose to live by the obedience of the law, it means that we're focused all the time on what we should do or what we shouldn't do. And according to Paul, all that does is arouse sin in us, pushing us to do that sin. It's the classic wet paint sign. Do you understand? They're building a building over here, and all over the back, they've finished the painting, and they've put these posters up, finished product, please don't touch. And there's handprints all over the wall. It's like don't step on this grass signs. I wonder what the grass feels like. It's in us. Laws 
motivate our heart to break them. It reveals that, right? And that's what Paul is saying here. So understand what he says in in, uh, verse 8 of uh, chapter 7. But sin seizing the opportunity to the commandment produced all kinds of problems. Now let me give you one more reason if you want to avoid living by the law. Here's what you understand. That the law wasn't created for the purpose that many people are using it for. The law was not created for the purpose that many people are using it for. Here's how people use the law, as a ladder. They've constructed some version of how do I climb my way to God's acceptance and approval. And that's not what the law was given for. Paul says in verse 6 that the law was given to hold us captive. The law's intention was to uh, expose our sin, to expose our inability and our brokenness. The law was given to lock us up as guilty without any other options but Jesus alone. Amen? That's what the law was given for. Some people use the law for peace, and it doesn't ever work. It's just the opposite. Some people think, hey, you know, I'm going to sleep really, really well tonight if I have a good day. How long does that last, church? If, you're, if you've been changed by Jesus, what happens? God sits on your chest and you know you don't measure up and your only hope is grace. Freedom. Freedom from this stuff. So you're not bearing the weight of the condemnation God poured out on his son. You walk free. Free from the law. One, one last thing to understand if we're gonna try to live free from keeping the law and that is understand why God gave it. Look back to chapter three. Um, Verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under it, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's God's intention. The law is a sin instigator. The law is an impossible standard. It can't be kept, and its ultimate intention is to point us to Jesus who could. Amen? Come on, church, right? That's good news. But you know what I think? I think most of you in here knew that. I just spent 15 minutes telling you stuff that if I gave you a test or a quiz, you'd answer. You know that you came to Christ knowing you couldn't fix it and that you trusted in him alone and you laid down your life and took up Christ, right? And you heard somewhere about grace that you couldn't perform and you believed that, right? So tell me why it is we pick it up again. Because we do. We, you know that moment you came when you came to Christ and the lights came on and you couldn't believe how free you were and it was by faith and you were skipping around like some nut job and so you started to learn about Jesus and started to get heavy again. Remember that? Why do we pick it back up again? Why do we get saved under the idea that there's nothing we can do only to create a list for things for us and others? Because we do. Here's what Paul said. Look at Romans 8. I want you to say it. I want you to say it loud when I get to it. 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no 
Yeah, for those who are in Christ Jesus. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. No judgment again. He's not bringing up a charge again. Every charge was completely exacted on Christ. In verse 6 of chapter 7, Paul says, you are released from the law. You're free. And here's what Paul says. Here's the application to that truth, and that is you're free now. You're free now to bear fruit. Let's read verses 4 and 6 again. Watch the outcome of that freedom. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit to God. This is what you have to understand. There's a twisted part of the human nature that thinks fruit comes from obedience to some list of things. And I want you to understand that's impossible. Good fruit, the kind of fruit God accepts, the kind of fruit that exists in a love of God with heart, soul, mind, and strength comes from grace alone, not law. The only shot the church has at all to offer something good and acceptable is if it comes from love. Everything else God rejects as an idol and as religion. Everything. So, so let me give you some things that are true about our relationship with Jesus. The outcome of freedom from the law. Here's the first thing you have to understand. If you're afraid, by the way, that somehow telling people we're released from the law, that people are going to go off and act crazy, just hang in here because Paul tells us what the grace of God does to the church. Here's the first thing it does. It's a transforming relationship. You don't have to turn there, but remember we learned this last week in chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, transformation, that your life becomes different. That's the outcome of this relationship. Um, All over the scriptures, God decided to use the word picture to describe his relationship with the church. He's the bridegroom, we are the bride. That's how he describes it. I'm not a very smart man, I don't think. Um, But there's one thing I've learned about marriage. It changes you forever right? Suddenly, you realize you are not your own. You have to, uh, at least from a guy's vantage point, you seek your wife's happiness constantly. Because if mama's not happy, (laughs) exactly right, you know how it finishes. You have to think about your wife before you make plans, before you spend money. I don't have money, never had money. She's got all the money. I I have to call her and say, hey, can I spend, I just need a sandwich. Um, (laughs) Every decision you have to take into account, it takes work to stay close. God describes our relationship to the Father as a marriage. We're married. There's transformation coming. You will not be the same. We said it over and over the last several weeks. God doesn't save people. He doesn't change. So if you're thinking that freedom means you're going to go act nuts and crazy, I'm telling you that's not the gospel. He transforms people. Here's another reality of our relationship, and that is that it's a love relationship. Verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. If you want to paraphrase that thought, it's love. The new way of the Spirit is motivated because of heart, soul, mind, and strength, love for God, and not the old way of the written code, some standard of performing or climbing a ladder to make God happy with me. And if we're going to stick with the illustration of marriage, just picture marriage again and now picture a woman married to a jerk who has white gloves and goes around testing the house for dust and expectations and demands and so she lives in fear and let's say she gets free from that marriage and she finally marries this other guy and he's kind and 
gentle and patient if they exist. That kind of a guy. <laughs> Guess what happens to her? She might dust the same shelves, but now it's not out of fear. What is it? Love. I can't believe this guy. I can't believe how much he does for me. I can't believe how he accepts me. And he doesn't expect me to dust. I want to dust. Do you understand the difference? I see that look in your lady's eyes. You're looking for this man. It's an illustration. Don't get carried away. (laughs) So when it comes to the law, you don't have to anymore. When Jesus changes us, we want to. Do you see the difference? We want to love. Love, not law, is the only way to please God. Love, not law, is the only way to please him. There's another reality of our relationship to Jesus, and that is this, that it's a liberating relationship. I'm going to offend you now, okay? I told you I would. It's true freedom. You're free from the law. You're free from judgment. You're free from the penalty. You're free from the condemnation. You're free to do something stupid. Did you know that? Not that God authored stupid things in his people, but you're not under condemnation. Steve Brown wrote a book, Scandalous Freedom. I don't know if you've read it. He's pretty provocative, and he says things in such blunt ways that make his point. Now, remember, I'm reading this in the context of transformation that a love relationship with God produces. But this is what he says. He also says something like, uh, in the Greek, free means free. In the Hebrew, free means free. So God is not being confusing when he's talking about freedom So he says, I strongly stand on what the Bible says about freedom, and while it may offend you, I can't change what the Bible says without leaving a smudge on the page. So on the basis of what the Bible teaches, let me give you a radical statement. You are really and truly and completely free. There is no kicker. There is no if and or but. You are free. You can do it right. You can do it wrong. You can obey or disobey. You can run from Christ or run to Christ. You can choose to become a faithful Christian or unfaithful one. You can cuss, cry, spit, laugh, sing, or dance. You can read a novel of the Bible. You can watch television or pray because you're really, really free. And I know what just came up inside of you. There's no way. There's no way you can be that free. All he's talking about is this one little essence of truth that God is not looking for you to perform to be accepted. He's accepted Christ for you. All, all this statement that Brown gives just describes your life. It describes your life on its best day and its worst day, doesn't it? And you're fully loved in Christ. And he's not disappointed in you because he sees Christ over you and in you. Amen? Amen. It's also, this relationship with Christ is a fruitful one. See, now we're going to put all this together so you don't have to freak out that sin's going to go rampant in the church. Here's what Paul promises us, that God saves us for fruit. Look at verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you'll belong to another, to Jesus, to him who's been raised from the dead in order that we bear fruit for God. There's a fruitfulness coming out of our life, an inevitability of fruit and good works, not because we're absolutely convinced that God's going to crush us if we don't. I can't help myself. I love him. That's what happens. There's only one problem with this, and that is fruit inspectors. The church, who has a tendency to create lists for themselves and other people, who go around going, you know what? You shouldn't be 
doing this, or you should be doing this, right? And it freaks out the church. And so the church spends more time talking about what God produces in us than what the Bible does because we're better legalists than we are grace people. There's another part of this outcome of the relationship with Christ, and that is that it's a powerful relationship. He lives in us. There's an indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in us. Not only does he awaken our eyes to see the gospel and turn from our sins, he also indwells us and delivers us and convicts us and comforts us. He is there all the time. This relationship is perfect and it's together forever because of the love of Christ. One more. It's a holy relationship. There's one particular word I want to show you in verse 6 where Paul says, You've been released from the law, having died of that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. The word serve in the Greek is enslaved. We kind of saw this theme last week when we saw um, wholehearted obedience, remember? That idea that when God transforms us, he gets all of us, this wholehearted affections to God. God sets us free from the, the duty and the judgment and the tyranny of doing and the law. So that what he produces in the church isn't a have-to theology, but a get-to theology. Do you see the difference? Do you get the difference? Already made perfect in Jesus, his perfect life applied to us. And do you see why we talk about the gospel and the good news all the time? Because the gospel isn't just how people are saved, it's how people are changed. God saves people and he makes a holy people through the forgiveness and love and permanency of Jesus' life for us. That's the gospel, free and holy. Because Paul says you can't produce righteousness apart from Christ alone. That's why when he died, by being joined together with him, all of that law has been met for us. And what comes out of us then, church, is affections. And if you want a very simple equation for understanding what God smiles upon, it's affections not duty. That's why Paul says, listen, he died to take this away from you. God is not pleased with your human efforts. He had to die for those. There's a story, and I don't know if it's true. Some people debate whether it is true or not. I don't care. It's on the internet, so it's true. Um, (laughs) At least it'll make its point. Abraham Lincoln's story. It's a story about Abraham Lincoln. For some reason, he was in New Orleans, and there was a slave market going on, and he happened to be watching, and there was a girl that came up for sale. So he began to bid on her. As she looked at the white man bidding on her, she figured he was just another white man going to buy her and use her and abuse her. Abraham won the bid, and as he was walking away with his property, he said, young lady, you're free. She said, what does that mean? It, It means you're free. Does that mean, she said, that I can say whatever I want to say? Lincoln said, yes, dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean, she said, that I can be whatever I want to be? Lincoln said, yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? He said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And the girl with tears streaming down her face said, well, then I guess I'll go with you. That's the gospel. God transforms the human heart broken and stuck in sin and what he creates in us is affection for him. We want him. So what comes out of our life is obedience, not to be accepted, but affection, amen? Let's pray together. God, help us get this. 
It's so hard for us to understand it um, because our flesh wars with it. But the gospel is so amazing. It, it can't be plumbed. It can't be fathomed. It, the whole thing just continues to superabound over us in our knuckle-headed ways. God, we confess that we are better legalists than we are grace people. God, help us today see that we are free, released from the law, so that we're free to produce fruit, good fruit by grace and affections for you. God, you are worthy of it. We love you. That's our confession, and we love you because you first loved us. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. God bless.